Hey, Indiana. Welcome to Who's Left, a podcast about Indiana politics, history, and culture from an unapologetically leftist perspective. My name is Scott Aaron Rogers, and I'm broadcasting from Bloomington. Today, two interviews. First, Fisher's City Councilwoman Jocelyn Vare. Second, Michigan City Vice Chair of the Sustainability Commission, Andy Jans Davis. So last week, we discussed whether the Democratic Party was a good vehicle for progressive change, and if that's the way we should work uh, to produce the change we see in the world. Uh, I came to the conclusion that, uh, faults and all, this is, the, this is our best opportunity. The infrastructure is there. So, how do we break into that system, and uh, what are the different routes for going about that? Uh, I talked to Jocelyn Vare about electoral politics and jumping in and the logistics of that. Uh, later, I talked to Andy uh, about her path uh, to a non-electoral route, uh, getting involved in local politics. Um, let's first listen to my interview with Jocelyn Vare. At this time, let's welcome to the Who's Left podcast, Jocelyn Bear. Jocelyn is a Fisher City Councilwoman, uh, representing one of the at-large all-city districts, and uh, as I understand, is the first Democrat ever elected in the city of Fishers. Yes, you, have to, well, you have to start somewhere, Scott, so I'm happy to be to be the first. So, and now look what's happening. Well, congratulations. That's a big ceiling to break through. Yes, it is. But it was a long time coming. It was overdue here in our community. And I promise you, if Fishers can do it and get Democrats elected, any community in Indiana can, I promise. <laughs> yes, yeah, quite, quite a Republican stronghold there for a long time. Is um, So what, what prompted you to, to run in that environment? Um, yes. So first of all, I'll just uh, validate what you just said. Hamilton Fishers is in Hamilton County. We are a northeast suburb of Indianapolis, and we are a community of 100,000 people. We are the sixth largest city in the state and one of the fastest growing. So that is something that we're very proud of. But to validate what you just said, Fishers and Hamilton County specifically have been GOP strongholds, not only at the local level, but our elected officials at the state level and the federal level as well. Like totally red, no question, like absolutely solid. Well, as our community kept growing, as you would expect, uh, folks were attracted to our community for many good reasons, but I would say first and foremost, our strong public school district. But as you bring in new people to community as it grows, those people come in um, and form a very diverse population, right? We have people coming to our community from all over the state, even the country, and they bring with them new perspectives and our community is pretty diverse right now. So we know a diverse community doesn't lend itself to a super duper majority, single-minded, one party 
representation, right? It just doesn't, that doesn't compute. So back to your question, kind of what motivated me was I knew that people in our community were not being represented by a single political party. And frankly, I believe that no matter what party has that full control, that that is probably not representative of the people in general. So um, if I may, like a little bit about my history, I've lived in Fishers for over 20 years, raised my family here. And um, firstly, like I was in a season of life, I was an empty nester, so I, and I'm a small business owner, so I have some flexibility in my time. And I wanted to get involved with our community. So I just started to do volunteer work. And the more I got, I did volunteer work in our community, just all sorts of different things for fun and just to invest my time and to contribute. Um, the more I did that, the more I had the opportunity to intersect with city government. And the more I saw city government, again, single-minded, fully 110% GOP ruled, um, the more I was disappointed about what I saw and the more I felt like our government, local government, wasn't representing our people. So um, I never expected to be a politician, but I decided, one, we got to start somewhere. Two, I'm in a season of life. I can do it. Three, it sounded exciting. And it sounded like something that I could not only be good at, but really enjoy and most importantly, bring other people with me. Like it takes a few people to get the ball rolling. That's all. So I wanted to get the ball rolling. So that's what brought me here. And um, I decided that I wanted to run um, as a city councilor and I wanted to run at large and at large meant means citywide, I represent the entire city. That means I'm voted on by the entire city. But that also means my responsibility on the body is to look at things from a 10,000 foot view citywide. And I knew like that kind of fit me, kind of fit my perspective and my um, maybe my expertise a little bit better. So that's what brought me here and a leap of faith and a lot of encouragement and a lot of support and um, a lot of people in our community just ready for change. Sure, that's um, like fascinating. And um, I guess were people you were coming across uh, on, a, on a daily basis just like, boy, you should really run. You should, you should, you should be in government. Oh gosh, no. No, because, right, that's on. And so just to frame it, like, I ran for city council in in 2019. So that's that's when I ran. So if everyone remembers 2019, pre-pandemic, things were a little different. I would say my community was far less polarized at that time. Um, mm -hmm. But I, I never, honestly, like, where we were, because we were such a GOP stronghold, suggesting someone to run for office who wasn't already in the local GOP, like infrastructure and leadership, I didn't make sense. And in fact, I want to laugh about this for a minute. When I stepped forward and announced my candidacy, people were like, why are you running as a Democrat? You're never gonna win. Why are you running as a Democrat? And I'm like, because I am a Democrat, um, <laughs> but that was that was the 
that was the feeling. Like Democrats didn't even have a shot. So I was never in a conversation back in 2019 or 2018 where Democrats were even like we were underground, right? Like we were invisible. So yeah. And that is what has changed in our community. So today, as we look for the municipal elections this cycle, this year in 2023, uh, we have eight Democratic candidates for municipal office. That is the most ever. And I'm really excited and very proud about that because that's the ball rolling, right? Like more and more people realize that, wait, a Democrat can get elected here. Wait, I want to participate and that engagement, that's magic. Like that's what we need to be doing. So more and more. And, and that's just like incredibly brave of you to, to, to put yourself out there and, and be vulnerable and unafraid to, you know, lose. It, yeah. It comes to that. <laughs> and, and, and now you're an example mm. and, and, and you, you've got, you got people lining up behind you. Yeah, well, that's fantastic. Um, well, thank you. Thanks for saying that. But, um, you know, I, I agree with you. Like being a candidate is a very you're literally putting yourself out there and asking people to um, approve you, asking people to support mm -hmm. you, uh, let alone the, the task, the necessary task of asking people to give you money to run. Right. These are very, very hard sticking your neck out kind of things on a good day. But when you're in an environment where it's always felt like you're swimming upstream, that's a whole different scenario. But I knew that I knew enough about my community to know that there was an openness to new leadership. I knew enough to know that we did have Democrats here. They just were quiet because they felt outnumbered and alone. So I I had that just, I, I didn't take a poll. I just had a feeling because I'd been involved with our community. And frankly, I also felt because I had made enough connections and been in the community long enough, I could bring some sensible-minded Republicans along with me. And that I, that I did, that I did. And, and I totally attribute kind of that crossover for uh, how I got elected. We got the Democrats out voting for me, but we also, I was able to speak to those Republicans who are open to new leadership and had confidence in me. So it is a heavy lift, but I wouldn't trade it for anything. And I, I can tell you this, if I can do it, anyone can do it, I promise. I promise it is a challenge though, but it's something that I am so grateful for. It's a remarkable opportunity. So, um, for example, um, let's say I or one of my listeners were uh, interested in running for office. You, you walk into your uh, local Democratic Party, mm -hmm. you throw your card down on the table and say, I'm in. <laughs> I, I love that enthusiasm. But I would say before you make that plunge, there's a few things I would recommend to anyone to think about before they take that step. And I encourage everyone from every background to consider serving their community as a candidate in this capacity. As a Democrat, we have to do it. This is, we um, have the responsibility 
and the opportunity to serve our communities like um, our Republican friends cannot. Um, this is very important because we are the ones that consider the entire community. We are the ones that are the fresh voices, the new perspective. And we are the ones that are able to set things right when they're off balance. So, okay, so if you have that feeling in your, your tummy that you wanna serve, what would I recommend you just check before you throw your hat in the ring? One is, um, you know, I will say, make sure you're in the season of life in your, you know, kind of personal life and your professional life that you can take this on. To be honest, for a Democrat, this is a heavy lift. And I don't recommend anyone who has, no one can predict what's happening to them in the next six, six months. I get that. But be in the moment where you have that um, availability of time, of attention, of effort. Um, and let's be honest, um, not everyone is in that season of life, but you'll know it when it's your time. I think timing is really important. And part of that timing, knowing that you're in the right place at the right time, is having that support network around you. You can't do this by yourself. And so whether it be a spouse or a friend group or a church group or a PTO or neighbors down your block, um, that I believe has to be established somewhat before you put your hat in the ring, because these are going to be the ones that keep you healthy and strong and encourage you on bad days and also provide you that voice and that perspective to keep moving and keep serving. So having that network around you and being sure you have that um, space of time is crucial because you have to go all in and give it all you have because it's a, it's a hard road um and then i guess secondly i would say you have to know your community you have to know your neighbors and that doesn't mean you have to live there for 20 years but that does mean that you enjoy meeting your neighbors you enjoy listening to what your neighbors have to say um, that means um, being comfortable sharing your perspective with your neighbors and being challenged. Um, I've said before, if you're not, if you have never considered yourself a people person, probably being a candidate isn't for you. You can be a great helper or campaign, you know, like a leader, but if you don't enjoy looking someone in the eye who lives in your community and has a different perspective than you, and listening and learning, this this gig is probably not for you um, because you are here ultimately not only to win, to be elected, but you're trying to serve. You're trying to serve your community in whatever office you're aspiring to. And that means being pretty vulnerable, but that means being open and enjoying listening and sharing with your future constituents. Um, everything else. And I think that, uh, yeah, that part really goes uh, underappreciated because uh, you, you generally only see the talking part of politics and not the listening part. Oh, the listening has to come first. Right. And the listening has to come first. And in order to serve your community, you have to know your community. And that means being quiet and having open ears and listening. 
Um, I believe, this is my philosophy, and I think it's fair, is if you're trying to get elected to push upon neighbors what you believe, um, you're probably not going to get very far. You're, you're here to do what's best for your community as a whole or your district. If you're running for a district, um, you're here to serve. And Democrats believe in good government. And we have seen our um, GOP, you know, power brokers show us exactly how not to serve, right? It's not selfish. It's not easy. Um, it is up to Democrats to serve their their neighbors. And sometimes I believe in this moment, even turn things around that have been broken. So at least that's how it is in my community right now. Very good. Um, so um, say that you decide that this is for you. Mm -hmm. You know, hey, I, 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 I'm called to this. I, I, I need to do this. Uh, I maybe don't know a bunch of people, but hey, I'm up to knocking on a door or a yeah. thousand. Yeah. Um, wh what do you, where do you turn? Um, do, do you start with the party? Were you previously involved with the party in any way? A little bit. So to answer your question, I believe the first thing that you need to do is find your county party chair, your County Democratic Party chairperson. Um, hopefully you can find that in a Google search or through indems.com is the way to, to be able to find that because that person's role is to help facilitate candidates and get them lined up. It's important those county party chairmen are also responsible for kind of um, setting the, the slate of candidates um, and recruiting new candidates. Some are able to do that in a very specific way. Others kind of just field those interested parties, you know, interested individuals, um, uh, the folks that raise their hands. Go to your county party chair and they'll be able to coach you from there. And they may say, hmm, you're thinking at large, but maybe this is the first time you've ever run. Have you considered your district? Because we don't have a candidate for your district. Or, right, they might like steer you because they're responsible for the entire slate. Ultimately, our job is to get as many Democrats elected and serving their community as possible. That's how we're going to make communities in Indiana better. So your county party chair, that's the person to talk to. Yeah, and um, you know, Indiana, the Democratic Party has not been great about having somebody in every race. Yes. Um, there were there were lots of lots of uncontested or uh, unchallenged Republicans mm -hmm. last year. Um, do you find that problem in in, in Hamilton County uh, a lot, or is in, or it's it's changing? Yes. So I have two comments on that, two feelings about that. One is still in Hamilton County, although it's changing and it is getting more balanced, it's no longer a GOP stronghold. Democrats are winning elections and making a difference. Um, what, what I see still though here is a recruitment effort for candidates is still required. 
meaning like we don't have enough people raising their hand and volunteering to be tribute, right? Like we have, <laughs> and I say that like to be funny, like it's not sacrificial at all, but we don't have enough volunteers, even where I am, where Democrats are really like making amazingly speedy progress. It is up to the county chair and other Democratic leaders to pay attention to the community and start inviting candidates in. Um, I think that's crucial and that requires strategy and that requires outreach. And that means also paying attention to those emerging leaders in your community. So I do recommend all the time like our Democratic leaders to reach out and to um, recruit candidates. Secondly, I want to point out, I used to be in the spirit of in order to get some traction, we need to get all the um, all the the ballot completely filled with Democrats. Um, I, I think I've changed my mind on that. And maybe I've changed mm -hmm. my mind because of experience. But also, like, again, the the progression of our community, our community is changing. In this moment, our strategy this time was to find excellent candidates for those seats that were viable and keep all of our focus right there. So for example, in the city of Fishers, we do not have a Democratic mayoral candidate. Um, that would be the top of the municipal ticket, as you would know. But, and it would have been great if we had the opportunity to be um, competitive with our current um, mayor, Republican mayor. But that was, that's really at this moment, not really attainable. Um, the mayor is well-funded, pretty, um, um, you know, I would even say powerful. Um, it would be a big bit, it would be a miracle to have a competitive race for him in this moment. So we decided that's okay that we don't have a mayoral candidate. Let's keep our focus on city council where we can, especially since the mayor's unopposed then, explain to our community then the checks and balance other branch of government mm -hmm. that works with the mayor is the city council. Let's keep our focus there. And we knew that almost every seat on city council was viable. Even with a little bit of redistricting that just happened, each one is flippable except for one. So we did not, um, we do not have a candidate for that one district that simply the data proves that that would be really tough. Let's focus on what we can accomplish. And the candidates that we have for each of these flippable districts, of course, that was determined by crunching data, voter data, um, and checking trends and making sure that we knew kind of how voters are identify our voters well. So we so now my philosophy is seat by seat, go after what you can. And that's what's important. And focus on that. Instead of spreading too thin, focus narrowly on what you can attain. And in Fishers right now, we think we can attain eight seats. Seven on city council plus city clerk is what we is our slate for municipal elections this year. That is some impressive growth at, at, at the very least. And, yeah. you know, it, it's 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 good to have all those candidates out there because you never know when the Republican is going to say something 
batshit crazy <laughs> their campaign. <laughs> right? Right? And, you know, if I may, the other thing, I'm so proud of our candidates, this slate of candidates, <clears throat> because as a as a team, as a democratic team for their community, we have a single dad. We have a gentleman who's kind of an older, a woman that's younger, um, a black man, a Latina woman, a, um, I'm, I rent, I'm a, I live in an apartment in our community. Some others um, own their home. Somebody has been there like me for 20 years in the community. We have someone on the slate that has been a newer resident of Fishers. This, I am so proud of this slate because collectively, collectively, it is very diverse and represents the diversity of our community. And I believe this, right? Leaders, community leaders need to be good representation for their community, all of their community. So I'm really excited about that. Plus, they're all great people and going to be very well qualified and dynamic candidates. They will bring others along with them. And that, you know, it's good to have a diverse like that because um, it seems like every politician's just a lawyer mm. or, uh, or, or, or a business owner. And not to disparage business owners like yourself, <laughs> but um, that's just one perspective that we need uh, in government. Exactly. Exactly. So I'm proud of this slate, not only because several are first time candidates. Um, and again, as we concluded, that takes guts. Right. But um, just this this team is tr doing something um new and exciting in our community and that's demonstrating and this was our goal demonstrating that democrats are here in our community democrats are electable in our community and we're going to show them that democrats will serve the community well very good um so if you were not comfortable being a candidate yourself um what is the, the the best thing you can do if you want to see progressive change in the world? Oh, well, I I think right now, like, again, where we are in the state of Indiana, where Democrats are present, but their voices are not being heard across the state, their perspective and their ability to add balance, and I would say common sense, to uh, the discourse in our in our community, um, there's so many ways to serve or to participate, and um, I really do think, especially like this year's municipal elections throughout the state, um, approaching the candidate where you live uh, in your district that you live in or approaching the at-large citywide candidates, Democratic candidates, or if those folks aren't on the ballot this time, approaching your county party chair is a great on-ramp. Um, frankly, a lot of people also get on Facebook and start finding like-minded people on Facebook. Oh my gosh, you guys, Facebook groups, Democrats like us are bountiful. You will find your tribe, I promise you. Now, the good news is there's so much work to be done, 
if you can identify what you like to do or where you think you can serve, you will find your on-ramp, I promise. If you are, you know, one of those people persons who would enjoy visiting neighbors at their at their front door, like we have a place for you. If you would prefer making phone calls or sending texts from home to help get a candidate's word out, awesome. If you are a go-getter in your community and have a network of folks, um, you know, you might be a really good helper with fundraising, which is crucial. And frankly, one of Democrat candidates' biggest challenges. Um, but I'm here to say wherever your talent or interest lies, we have a place for you. There's a lot of work to be done, but it's up to you. It's up to you to make yourself known and put yourself out there. And please have some patience. Sometimes it takes a, a few attempts to make that connection that clicks in perfectly for you. But we need you. And I'm gonna say one other thing, and this is really important. In our community, one of our strategies is to get Democrats voting in the primary. The primary election is on May 2nd this year. Um, I'm here to tell you when you go to vote in my community for the primary on May 2nd, you will make quick work. Do you know why? You will ask for a Democratic ballot, and we don't have any contested primaries on the Democratic ticket. You will just click, 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 and uh, hit submit and go home. Like, it is quick work. However, we need to get our Democrats out and voting. We need to get them believing that they matter and their votes matter. So one of our main messages to our community, frankly, this should be the message for our state. We need our Democratic voters to vote for the primary. That's how we can identify you. That's how we can send a message to our Republicans saying we're we're out here. That's how we send a message to our fellow Democrats saying you are not alone. We've got you. You are part of a bigger team. And frankly, we will, for our team, we're going to give our get out the vote efforts a trial run in May to be sure that we are trying to get every Democrat out and voting. And we'll put that those efforts into practice in May and perfect them. So then in November, oh my goodness, if you are a Democrat in our community, I'm happy to pick you up at your front door and drive you to the polls to, to vote. We are going to encourage you to vote. It's gonna be hard for you as a Democrat to not vote. I promise you that because that's that's how we have our voices heard. And that's how we get Democrats. I actually want to, yes, I want to talk about the primary for a second. Uh, are those open to independents or do you have to be a registered Democrat to vote the Democratic? Party? Oh, that's a, that's a really good question. So how you register as a Democrat, how you are identified as a Democrat is voting in a primary and requesting a Democratic ballot. So, you know, in a primary, you either pull a Republican ballot or a Democratic ballot. Frankly, usually in municipal elections, probably everywhere except for Marion County, um, there aren't contested primaries very much. Um, so voter turnout is very suppressed. In order to be considered a Democrat, all you have to do is go to a primary, vote for in the primary, again this year, May 2nd, 
and ask for a democratic ballot. You ask for a democratic ballot, you are presenting yourself as a Democrat. So um, that's all it takes. For for the left independents out there. Yes. Uh, what if you don't want to be a Democrat, but you want to vote in the Democratic primary? Yeah. Uh, is it like you're in whether you want to be in or not? Well, um, we recommend strongly go vote in the primary and vote according to who you are and what you believe. Meaning, like, in my community, there were folks that... Um, were Democrats, identified as Democrats, and uh, championed Democratic values, but they would go to the polls and ask for a Republican ballot because they were mostly Republicans on the ballot and they wanted to participate in that. I get it, I get it. We didn't have enough Democrats on the ballot to make it worthwhile. But then what that does is it miss, you know, represents you when we are crunching as candidates, when we're crunching data, I will never reach you because on, on my record, you're a Republican. So primary voting is how we identify voters to know really to be able to listen to them better and to be able to serve them better. So um, if you are an independent and many, many people are, um, we are recommending, of course, you have to make a choice at the primary, but we are recommending look at your candidates and decide which ballot you want to pull, Republican or Democrat, that's closest to who you are. And um, whichever one you choose, I'm just glad you're voting. Oh, yes, absolutely. For sure. That is that is uh, important either way, however you cut it. Yes, but we want uh, Democrats to vote for Democrats. <laughs> sure. And independents to vote for Democrats too, right? Yes, sir. Um... Let's talk about fundraising, um, because it sounds intimidating and awkward. Yeah, it is. Um, it's it's panhandling, right? Yeah, it's it's rough. It's it honestly, this is this is the biggest challenge I think that Democrat candidates have, um, and there's no shortcut to it. There's no easy way. Um, you have to make the request. You have to ask. In my last election, I ran for state Senate this past year in 2022, and I was on the phone for hours every day asking just, uh, I had, you know, an amazing hit list of folks that have donated to Democrats in the past, introducing myself, hopefully sharing with them the vision, hoping, hoping that they understand the vision of my candidacy and hoping to get their support. And that monetary support not only is required for candidates to get elected, but that is the biggest, um, you know, uh, you know, pr privilege that when you get someone's support financially, like, okay, that, that gets you one step closer to, to being an elected official and every dollar makes a difference. So I'm here to tell you, at least if someone has a, a you know, silver bullet to get a campaign fundraising accomplished, please let me know. But this is my third time being a candidate and this is hard work. But I do believe if you have a good message if you have um are brave enough to ask for financial support 
you will receive far more support than you ever dreamed of. If you believe in you, others will believe in you too. And your community will believe in you. But it's hard work. And I would say my experience is generally Democrats really struggle with this. But if I'm if I may, the only way we're going to get people to believe and give us donate their money to help Democrats is if we get Democrats elected. But we need money to get Democrats elected. Right. So it's such a catch 22. But we have to win. Yeah, you know, I, I I was just going and going to go there. It is totally a catch twenty two. Um, because, I mean, generally it is the the plank of the party platform and it, it, to, to to get money out of politics, right? Um, in order to get money out of politics, we need your money. It's a hard ask, right? It's, it's uh, a hard ask. It's, Give me it's, money so we can get the money out. Yeah, it's not easy. And, you know, we've tried things and some things really work. Like, um, you know, just a bunch of small donations, right? Like, um, there is no doubt the the first circle of um, effective donors and supporters are your friends and family, the people who know you. And then you radiate out from there. So um, it it is indeed tough, but it's required. So back to one of your previous questions, Scott, you said, okay, what if what if you're not candidate? You don't feel like being a candidate is for you. How else can you participate? Honestly, a number one, let's start with this. Five bucks, 10 bucks, 50 bucks to a candidate makes a huge difference. Be a donor, be a supporter and be someone who shares that um, that you've made such a contribution to your community, right? Be proud to be a supporter of a Democratic candidate and others will be proud to join you. Fantastic. Um, well, Jocelyn Bear, thank you so much for joining the Who's Left oh, podcast. It's been a pleasure and I would love so to fun. have you back in some time. Oh, anytime. This has been a blast. Thank you for giving Democrats a big voice in Indiana. Thank you for what you do. It's so important. Thank you, Jocelyn. That was Fisher City Councilwoman Jocelyn Bear. Next, we head up to Michigan City for Sustainability Commission Vice Chair Andy Jans Davis, but first a musical interlude. Louisville-based DJ T. Farrow is an Indiana University grad, and this is his new track, Frigus. Links will be in the show notes.
My next guest at this time is Andy Jans Davis, Vice Chair of the Michigan City Sustainability Commission, and my dear friend since we were like 10. Andy, how you doing? Great. Thanks for having me. How are you? Um, fantastic. It's been uh, so good catching up. But let's uh, talk about uh, how you got to be uh, politically active. Um, I was just recently talking with uh, Fisher City Council person, um, Jocelyn Mayer, and she was telling me her story. And uh, I'd, I'd like to get yours, too. Well, um, I've always been an average citizen involved. Uh, you know, I paid attention to local government to a certain degree wasn't, you know, an activist or anything, but voted for mayor, voted for president. Um, couldn't tell you more than one or two people that were Supreme Court justices. I was just, you know, um, but um, enough to care and, and pay attention, I guess, you know, read the articles and um but the environment specifically was always something that I was interested in. And at some point, the environment became pretty political. So I, I guess that's where it, it started to um, really bring me in. Um, I'd voted for uh, people that had um, a green, more, I guess you would say, or environmental lean, if I could. Um, but mostly I was still just a, a person who was trying to make conscious choices when I went shopping. Um, should I get a bamboo toothbrush? Um, this toilet paper wrapped in paper instead of plastic. Um, bringing to-go containers with me, you know, just the little things and, you know, always recycling and, just being a good tree hugger. And um, one random day, I met a Michigan City City Council person, and we hit it off. We started talking about politics. And in 2016, I felt like I really needed to get involved because the environment was really at stake. And I offhandedly mentioned to her, oh, gosh, I need to get involved. And she's like, yes, you should. You should absolutely. And I laughed and said, I have no background in politics. I have background in all sorts of random things, but not politics. And um, she said, so anyway, we chatted and months go by. And her and a couple other city council members in Michigan City decided um, that we needed a sustainability commission. There were other people involved. Um, Nancy Moldenauer and several other locals actually went to an environmental conference and got the idea going, and they brought the information to the city council. So that was really gra grassroots. It was citizens of Michigan City bringing the information, working with city council to start the sustainability commission. But I read an article in the newspaper of the same city council, uh, Councilwoman Carnes, um, and she was co-author on the, um, the ordinance for the sustainability commission. And I just sent her a message and thanked her for doing it. And she suggests that 
I should go ahead and go out for uh, the commission. So I filled out a form and um, I was appointed with Nancy Moldenauer by the city council. And that was four years ago. And um, I was real surprised. And since then, it's been great. I love it. Um, we're working on solar panels, carbon neutral um, households. I, I have a carbon neutral household. Several of us on the commission have a carbon, carbon neutral household through Carbon Neutral Indiana, which is so inexpensive compared to what you would think. Um, they plant trees to offset your carbon usage. So obviously I still use carbon, but I pay somebody to plant trees and they plant more trees than I use carbon. So, and carbon trees sequester that, um, the carbon use. So do other plants, but trees really, really well. Um, the science of it exactly, I'm not too sure. But, uh, you know, um, we breathe uh, oxygen and they breathe carbon dioxide. So that helps. Anyway, right. It is. It's really neat. Give and take. And, you know, they were here first. And um, I remember thinking that in high school, you know, uh, well, you know, they were they were here first and always been a little conscientious. I mean, since then, um, it's recycling then. Um, so anyway, but the, the sustainability commission, um, they're, uh, besides getting, um, a greenhouse gas emission survey done, um, we've, um, through a grant that I can't recall exactly right now, terrible with that sort of thing. Um, we're getting two, uh, electric car chargers, um, for the city, um, the city was rated by the U.S. Department of Energy as a solar smart city. Um, we helped fill out all the paperwork for that, as well as get some city people trained in the right ways um, to understand solar. Um, and uh, just, you know, I mean, even just watching a video, I, I don't mean like get them trained. It was not that extensive, but some of it was, you know, watching a couple videos and, um, finding out just as much how many properties were hooked up to solar. And, um, we even have student commissioners, high schoolers and middle schoolers, and they've done so much work, uh, especially on the solar. And since none of them are 18, I won't, but, but they, they go to the meeting so I can say their names, can't I? Um, Tristan, anyway, he's done a lot with the solar. And, um, and they've all done great things. He's just been on the commission a little bit longer. So, um, you know, it's been, it's been really pretty productive even through, through COVID. And, um, last year we had an event that was fun. There was a lot of, uh, environmental organizations that came. We called it earth month extravaganza. Uh, we're planning the second one, um, for April 29th this year. And so that'll be a good time too. Um, I could keep going. So you should uh, tell me to stop or ask me another question. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, no, I, 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 I was going to let you toot your own horn there for a while. That's like, that's all great stuff. And it's like, it's, it's good to hear. Um, 
I, I don't uh, get back home terribly often. Um, so I, you know, I, I haven't seen all these uh, changes in action. I just kind of have that snapshot in my head from you know 25 years ago, and 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 and, and the Michigan City I remember was uh, not exactly uh, you know an environmental haven. It's gotten a lot better over the years. I think um, I really think a lot of people are noticing the beauty of the area so much. Um, uh, Johnny Stimley was the council person that uh, co-authored also. And he said something, I don't want to misquote him, but it was something along the lines of, you know, here we are with, um, you know, this national park right here, Mount Baldy at our back door. So, um, you know, we really, we really need to to cherish these things. And, um, you know, for a while there's been a fight with industry and environment along our lakeshore. Um, I think there can be balance. Um, I think that we've seen a lot of growth. There's been um, birds that my mom was just like, no, I never saw a sandhill crane when I was a kid. And there's thousands of them, thousands, like all over. There's bald eagles. I've seen them. Wow, that's Bald phenomenal. eagles, okay? Yeah, we, did, we, did, and, we didn't get any of that when I was... Right. Exactly. And these are in areas that they weren't before. And I don't have official paperwork in front of me, but they look cleaner. Certain environmental laws have been enacted for water quality and air quality. And, you know, if you build it, they will come. So if you clean it up, they will come. And, you know, look at all these birds that came back. And sandhill cranes are just neat. So They are neat. They're just like as tall as you and kind of not friendly, but not also not afraid of you. So they just look at you <laughs> like you're looking at them. And anyway, to have that here um, in this tiny little area, um, it's really magical. And I think we need to take care of it. And and, and it, it really shows you what a, a committed group of citizens can, can do. Mm-hmm. Um, I, yeah, I want to uh, like wind back. You, you're talking about how you how you got involved, and uh, you, you mentioned you were talking to a certain council person. You know, you didn't necessarily go in looking to do this, and and you just you you met the right person, and you were at the right time, and that was like this 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 spark, and mm-hmm. um, and you know now, now you're doing it, and you're 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 touching other people just like that person touched you and, and just, you know, making sparks and making waves and, you know, putting that, uh, that civic energy out there and it's contagious. It is. It, it really is. And, um, Councilman Carnes really, really helped spark that too. And, and, and I must say, uh, Nancy Molnauer and Dahlia Zegas and Deb Chubb, all local involved women that were all in the sustainability commission that, absolutely inspirational um local business owners school board members current city council people all advocates and all doing things that make a difference locally um you know the ripple effect right like you said the spark and um i think it also helps if you see it with your own eyes and you see a difference or things change 
like you said, it's inspirational. It, you know, it's easy to lose hope or get like, I know nah, that's too much work, no matter what it is, especially something as vast as the environment. What? You can't save the planet. No, you can't save the planet, but you can clean up that garbage right there. And then you can, in a friendly, authoritative way, encourage people to not throw their garbage on the ground anymore. Um, and, you know, other little things. Hey, maybe, maybe don't buy that. Buy it in this, any, either this product, you know, is the same and it costs four cents more because it's in better packaging. But if you can afford the four cents, do it. Or guess what? Turn the light off and save the four cents so you can spend it on the more expensive toothbrush. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, um, but anyway, and, and it, like the all these people have done little things. They inspired me. I hope I've inspired someone else. I know I did inspire one kid at my kid's school because his mom told me that he wasn't, uh, they weren't allowed to buy um, zip top baggies anymore <laughs> because um, I said they were bad for the environment and I suggested other options. Um, I did encourage other options and he told his mom that uh, they were bad and they couldn't buy them anymore. So anyway, smart. you know, Hey, you know what? Maybe that person right there or someone he talks to will be the one that does solve a recycling crisis or something. Right? Like that, yeah. that kid's going to figure out how to like, you know, clean up the, the island of garbage in, in the Pacific and turn it into something. They're working on it. They're working on it right now. And it was some kid like, it was like, it was like that. It was like some kid's inspirational story. No joke. Sparks. Sparks. Yep. Exactly. Um, did you have an, like an aha moment? Where, um, where, where you saw, you know, somebody locally getting something done and say, Hey, you know, maybe, maybe I can make a difference. Um, there's, oh gosh, there's been a, a lot, I guess really, uh, it probably started a long time ago, but not necessarily like politically, um, just helping a person out, doing a, a, a nice thing for one person or something that simple um, and, and seeing that simple reaction and really realizing that um, the ripple effect is, is a real thing. And um, I would say, though, that then as an adult, I saw real things happening um, around Michigan City in my mid-20s when the uptown redistricting all started, and there were a lot of individuals involved with that. So um, it was like the, the whole Main Street, the early 2000s, uh, it, across the whole United States. It was like, take back your Main Street. So I did witness the, the change of Michigan City and our historic downtown people started moving into those buildings again. And 
so there wasn't an exact aha moment, I guess, but lo lots of them, if that makes sense. Does that make sense? Abs yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, you know, and it's, 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 it's nice. You talk about like a lot of these little, little aha moments and they're all, um, local. You, you, you sort of, um, mentioned just a little bit ago about like, Oh, it's so much work and it's so intimidating. And, um, I, I feel like the way our, our political system is in this country, um, it's supposed to seem intimidating. Um, uh, especially with like, you know, uh, politics being nationalized and uh, there's not a lot of great local news sources anymore. So, uh, you, you know, you, you don't get to see the little stuff where, you know, people are coming together in, in their towns. And, it's, you know, it's a cliche that, you know, all politics is local and it really is. Um, and, 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 and while national politics is, is, is almost meant to be, discouraging and to tell people you can't get involved you can't do things leave it to the experts um but no it's not that way you have to get yeah. involved you know politics mm -hmm. is us um you know we we are the active citizenry and and um uh, you know we we have to be the change we want to see in this world right we do or we do and it's a bunch of cliches, but there's a reason they're cliches, right? Um, they're appropriate in different situations. They really are. Um, and it, it does take uh, a lot of people to do some things, um, sure. But you can affect change, especially, like you said, locally. And you can see it, and you can see that it might not be 400 people. It might just be two or three with a petition, um, but you know, they start talking and, and spreading the word and the spark and, uh, and then yeah, more inspiration. And I'm, I'm, of course I'm saying the same thing, but, um, it can be discouraging too. Don't get me wrong, uh, locally because politics is still politics and, um, you don't always get what you want. Um, and you have to, you know, compromise, but that's also, that's life, right? Uh, as long as, uh, in my situation anyway, it's, it's not, um, policy making on, on the sustainability commission. So, um, what we do is, you know, suggest or advise if people ask and, um, and then, uh, work on our projects and hug the trees metaphorically. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so if we, um, if somebody comes to us with a policy suggestion, of course, um, we can vote on what we think we would like to do and what our opinion would be. And um, some council persons have taken that into consideration and several different votes. So, um, you know, that's really rewarding. And um, anybody can be on a commission if you're 18. Um, and then you can get involved a little and not be intimidated by it because I was really intimidated like no writer no I'm not gonna do that I can't be on a commission with grown-ups and vote for how do you parliamentary procedure no I just learned how to do that last year when my kid was in 4-H oh <laughs> for real yeah 
she learned in kindergarten. I learned when I was 40. So, you know, there's that. I mean, official parliamentary procedure. Um, you know? So we, uh, kindergarten teacher. <laughs> <coughs> so, um, we can all do a little bit. And if you don't want to join a commission, you know, uh, start a podcast and talk to other people <laughs> that are doing other of those things or write a book or um, just tell somebody what you think about it um, and see if they spread the word and get involved a little or a lot. You don't have to, you know, make signs and be on the street for all the things you can if you want to, you can, but that can be exhausting, especially when you're my age. Um, when you're in your 20s, that's perfect. Um, but, uh, you know, I guess, you know, my mid 40s, I'll, I'll be on some commissions and some boards and see if I have some wisdom or advice built up over the years. And um, I am a Gen Xer, just barely. So I have that. That silent wisdom from watching and being forgotten. <laughs> yeah, yeah, as we just stand in the corner and sort of scowl. But we, we know right. things, man. Yes, we know things. We do. We know things. But um, what, what, you, you made a good point because you were talking about, well, you know, maybe the commission's not my thing or maybe not, you know, being out in the, the street with the signs. Maybe that's not my thing. But there's, there's something for everybody. Maybe it's not the visible, you know, maybe it's not running for office yourself. Maybe it's not serving on a commission yourself. Maybe you're, you're not out there in the streets protesting, but maybe you're uh, writing a letter to the editor or standing up in, uh, you know, a city council or, uh, you know, writing your representatives or your senator, uh, you know, call, calling the switchboard in DC, giving them a piece of your mind. There is um, something for everybody, and um, we can't wait on others to do it. Um, no. We have to be our own saviors. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, we we are Luke Skywalker, so we have to just do it ourselves. Love it. Uh, yeah, well, Andy James Davis, thank you so much for joining the Who's Left podcast. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. It's been my pleasure. That was my good friend and vice chair of the Michigan City Sustainability Commission, Andy Jans Davis. So, Indiana, maybe it's electoral politics. Maybe you feel like you're in that place where you can run for office. Uh, maybe it is a commission like Andy does. Maybe it's volunteering or just talking to your neighbors or your relatives and trying to break this crazy Republican fever dream we find ourselves in. Every voice matters. Use yours. That's it for me this week, Indiana. My name is Scott Aaron Rogers. This has been Who's Left. Love each other. Bye-bye.